y'all. Welcome to the Nuga Bell podcast, all about stories of the South, straight from the sources. I'm your host, Kate Robertson, and I'm based in the scenic city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join me and my guests as we talk about all things Chattanooga, life in the South, and beyond. Now pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of sweet tea and join us. We're so glad you're here. everyone, welcome back to the Nuga Bell podcast. And with me tonight, I have local musician Ben Van Winkle. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your history with music. What is Ben Van Winkle's brief history of music? Starts with when I first learned ta ta ti ti ta in third grade music. Actually, I think we did that in kindergarten. Kindergarten music with Miss Stoloff. Of course, you know, we're all just little kids having fun in there, but I think. That like kind of ingrained into into my brain, so I have a lot to owe her, even though it was subconscious. Uh, and then I think it was third grade, I was asked to audition for the boys choir. So I did okay. the boys choir, even though I was getting made fun of for by my brothers. <laughs> uh, and then in fourth grade, I heard about the opportunity to play cello. Actually, it was a string quartet. Uh, it's funny because it's like the same string quartet of the CSO now. They played in the music room and. Uh, I came home and asked my mom, like, I was also, I was, like, nervous to ask her. There was no way she'll let me. I asked her if I could play the cello, and, of course, she was supportive and said, yes, you can play the cello, <laughs> duh. So I played the cello. There was a couple times where I considered quitting, but I never did, and I always played. Yeah, and I made it all the way through senior year of high school. Um, took private lessons probably from 7th grade to, tw- uh, to 12th grade. And uh, there was a big divide and question of should I do engineering or should I do music? Should I do engineering or should, should I do music? The only reason I picked engineering is I was pretty good at math. And I was like, okay, engineering, good jobs, math, I'll do it. Um, and then I eventually came to the decision to do a double major. And then eventually that turned into a major with a minor, <laughs> a major in engineering and a minor in cello. And then that just turned into a major in engineering. But the the good news is, there, this was all during my freshman year, and at the end of my freshman year, I actually had a 4.0 mm-hmm. in my engineering classes, and uh, all I wanted to do was quit engineering and do cello. <laughs> but I used my logic, and I determined that the pl- the best plan of action would be to finish my degree, work for a year, fund myself for a year or two to get myself on my feet, and then do music. So, like, I had this six, seven-year plan devised freshman year of college and then I did that plan and I'm good for you I'm on the sixth year maybe or seventh year from that so I'm I'm a successful well semi semi stable (laughs) uh solo musician right now and I'm making most of my money from teaching lessons and uh, playing gigs having that uh four-year engineering degree or having the degree and then the the year's worth of savings that I made with a full-time engineering job, which is a pretty good thing to live off for, for a while. Especially fresh out of college. Yeah, especially fresh out of college. I remember my mom being, like, she just scoffing and saying, oh, my God, my 21-year-old son is making more than me all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, it was weird. It was weird. Um, but I always wanted to quit even after that because I, I hated the I didn't have any free time. Mm-hmm. Um, so through all that, I never quit playing cello. Uh, I gave a senior recital, even though I was in my senior engineering classes, <laughs> and then uh, I continued to take lessons even for a couple years after I graduated and was working, because there's a great cello teacher here in town, Annie Camp. I played with masseuse a lot of that time, mm-hmm. and then like two years ago, or last year, I subbed 
with Danimal Planet, I played Marcello as their bass. Interesting. That he needed a bass player. How did that translate? Uh, translate or transpire, or both? Both. Well, so Dan, I guess, heard of me and needed a bass player desperately, <laughs> and it's like, can you can you play your cello like a bass? And I was like, yeah, actually, my low, my, my electric cello has a low F, and I thought it, that would that be a really good uh, experiment and challenge ah. for me. So, like, so, yeah, let's try that. And so I learned all this stuff. <laughs> How did it translate? I think, uh, basically, I was a worse version of... Jessica Nunn and Tyler Martelli put together like <laughs> like in other words I was trying to do both jobs I was trying to play bass and cello and really he needed two musicians and and also it just kind of it wasn't the exact sound I think that he needed he needed a bass player mm-hmm. um and, and you know we left I left on very good terms me and Dan and I are still great friends but I think how that transpired was really healthy and it was a good experience yeah. for both of us for sure uh talk- so yeah I guess that's where I'm at right now yeah uh, talk a little bit about your time playing with Masseuse, because that's how I'm most familiar with you. Um, so I basically started that band with the help of Kellen Childs. It, says, it was Kellen Childs, who's the bass player for Masseuse, myself, and Jordan Swafford, mm-hmm. who's a local drummer. Actually, he lives in Nashville now, but he's from Chattanooga. And uh, that was in high school. And so I played with Masseuse all the way until this year in June. We added members here and there in... Uh, in college time, like freshman year and sophomore year of college, pretty much were solidified by junior year of college. And then we always had this goal of making an album, and it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And we finally did it, and then that was that was this March. And I had kind of already made up my mind that that, was, that would be the point when I wanted to do my own thing, was once I have some sort of record of how this went, when, when this is put down, I'll feel okay with putting mm-hmm. it down. Uh, and doing something else for a while. So a lot of people are really curious, like, why did you quit right after you got the album out? I was like, well, I was waiting for the album to get out too, <laughs> but, um, in a weird way. And and it happened in a really organic way, and I think our relationships are still very healthy. And, uh, and everyone in the band was supportive of my decision to leave, and I think they also agree that it's in my best interest to follow my own thing right now and see where that takes takes me. So, And I'm still their studio cellist. If they ever need a cellist, mm-hmm. I'm there. for. I'm, I'm in the band. I'm just not touring with the band. Gotcha. I'd, like to, I'd like to say that. Uh, so I was listening to that album a little bit at work today. Um, it has a very unique sound, which I haven't gotten from a lot of other mu- musical acts that I've been listening to. So could you talk a little bit about what the process was like? I know you said that... The album like kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. But when it all came together, like when all is said and done, can you talk a little bit about like how that album came to life and what inspired the way the album was written and put put together? Uh, a lot of the songs were written in totally different ways. So even one song from the other will sound really unique, I think. That's mm-hmm. one thing I liked about that album. I noticed that a little bit when I was listening. Um, and that is partly because of who wrote the song and also partly because of how we wrote this song because almost all of them essentially were written by all of us mm-hmm. in some way or another. Some have more of a role in some songs and, and whatnot. You know, I think my favorite song on that album is called Primal Frontier. That was my favorite today. Awesome. Yeah. That's <laughs> actually the oldest song. That is from really? the jam room in high school with me and Kellen. 
Oh my gosh. And I think Ross was actually there when that one transpired. So Ross, our lead singer, had already joined. So this is probably college. This is probably freshman year of college. But it was a jam. And that's how a lot of our songs were written. One person would have a riff or maybe a couple riffs. And then they'd just play it in, in, in hopes that someone would find something that would go with it. <laughs> um, and a lot of times that, that worked and it really sparked our creativity. I think everyone in that band is extremely unique in their creativity. Uh, they, they use their instruments in different ways uh, than they're usually used. But I think just the that process, well, sometimes it didn't work. Actually, this is, this is the negative thing. Sometimes it was just everyone kind of doing their own thing and focused on their own part and just trying to force it together. And, and then we'd end up with six parts that are their, their solos, basically. Six solos. And like, this it just doesn't work unless we just cut something. There's no way you can mix this together. And that actually, there was a lot of that kind of process in the album making, which I think taught us all a lot about, okay, that's not going to work. And I think that's one reason the album did work is because we had a seventh person telling us that this isn't going to fit. You're going to have to do something or at least challenging our opinions of them. And uh, I was for the most part on his side as far as like trying to simplify things and making sure they actually are meant to go together. And then I think what we ended up with was a really good representation of the important parts of the songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Now we are going to play with my jar. If you've been listening to the Nougat Bell podcast, you know what the jar is. But if there are any new listeners picking us up in this episode, this is my mason jar filled with colorful pieces of paper and all kinds of fun little things for us to talk about. So we'll each draw a few and talk about them, and then we can talk about each other's. Okay. So I'll go first. And they are not color-coded. When I have visitors in town, the first place I take them is somewhere really good to eat. Where's that? Um, well, if my if it's my parents, my mom likes Feedco and FoodWorks, and I recently took them to Public House for the first time, um, introduced my mother to fried pickles and pimento cheese. Where else do we like to go? My dad really likes Champies, naturally. I took them to Main Street Meats the last time they were in town, and that was a good experience. But yeah, my food is my love language, so... I, if I don't make something, I want to like take people somewhere. So I used to say yeah. usually somewhere really good to eat. Do I have to answer yes. that same one? Yes. Um, probably somewhere pretty. I mean, sunset, you can't go wrong with Sunset Rock. And then I'll show them the hole in the wall places that I love, like the, the Canisteria cafeteria there on Market and Broad. No, Main and Broad. You can go in there and get this fajita mix for like three fifty, and it's like raw and marinated and stuff. Anyways, it's like a Chattanooga hack. You could just go in there. On Main and Broad. Main and Broad. It's like a totally Latino grocery store, so much so that some of the people working don't speak English kind of thing. Um, but most of them at least have enough to communicate. But it's fun. It's really fun. Um, you just have to see what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Something's going on downtown. You take them downtown. Show them downtown. You know, mm-hmm. I think we just, just literally just walk on the walking bridge. Yeah. And stuff. That one's pretty easy. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pick one. My ideal brunch spread includes, it includes eggs. Yes, always. How? How do you cook your eggs? Doesn't matter. (laughs) Just includes them. I cook them fried, but I think if I was out to lunch, maybe an omelet or something, because they don't have to do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, omelets. The more veggies, the better. Omelets are one of those things that, like, I think I can always make it work, but I always end up failing miserably. So I just let other people do them. Otherwise, I can make a mean omelet. I just don't feel like it. <laughs> That's why I do fried eggs, because it's just one step. Crack the egg. <laughs> yep. I usually do mine scrambled, because I can't do fried eggs. It's the yolk. I just can't do it. But fried eggs or deviled eggs. Deviled eggs aren't really a brunch thing, though, but I do like deviled eggs. Yeah, they're delicious. Um, aside from eggs, biscuits, always. And grits. Those are good, yeah. Yeah. So here's a divide. Sugar or salt and grits? Salt. Yeah. If you say sugar, you're wrong. I agree. There's just no reason grits should ever be sweet. All right. Let's go for another blue one here. Okay, I've answered this one before, but one snack I always keep at home. And for me, it's apples and cheese. There is not an answer to that question. <laughs> As in, like, it just depends on what time you find me. There's, there's Sometimes there are snacks and sometimes I'm, <laughs> I'm cleaning my fridge out. Uh, I eat a lot of produce and, and raw stuff. So when, when that stuff goes bad, then I'm like, I'm really scrounging. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an expert at eating everything I buy. Mm -hmm. uh, like very, very little waste. And, uh, but that's kind of tough when I only go to the grocery store once a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm really good at like buying a lot of food and knowing what to eat when so that it all doesn't go bad. Eating my super perishable stuff first and then the next per But always trying to have some sort of produce. Usually the last week or so I'm running, running low, but, um, you know, if you catch me in the first week, I'll give you an avocado. If you catch me in the last week, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll heat you up some uh, frozen pizza. <laughs> That works too. <laughs> All right, draw another one. One trend that I hope will go away in uh, 2019 is, I don't know, name a trend. What's a trend? Uh, so a trend right I had this one in my last episode, so I'll elaborate on it a little bit, but using healthy foods as substitutes for things to make, try to make them healthier. So like cauliflower crust pizza, like just eat a pizza. It's not the same if you try to make a cauliflower crust. Oh, I disagree. I think that's an amazing idea. <laughs> I would love to try that. Cauliflower pizza, that'd be good. Maybe I've just never done it right or been successful in doing it. Well, I wouldn't and make I it. And I'd I like it. to cook, but it's too much work. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of any trends right now. I'm sure there's like at least a hundred of those that I could say, stop doing this, people. Please stop doing that. I'm just blank right now. Fashion trends, food trends. Oh my gosh. One thing that I just wish would, people would just understand is do not wear white pants after Labor Day, ever. I want that trend to end. The trend you just mentioned. Who cares? I'm going to wear white <laughs> if I damn well please. I do it on purpose. Oh, it's the day after Labor Day? Full white. <laughs> Full seersucker. Like, maybe it's less hot, and I kind of get that. I'm going to stop wearing white stuff because it gets colder, <laughs> but, like, I just think those kind of things are stupid. Those are constructs. <laughs> I had, I love telling this story, but, like, two years ago, I had a total Gretchen Wieners moment with my boss. He walked into work, like, the end of October wearing white jeans, and I, he, like, walked in, and I go, Chris, you're wearing white jeans. It's October. <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me and I was like, yeah, and? And I was like, that's not allowed. 
He was just like, says who? No, the answer is, that's why I did it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what most people say when I call them out for it. And now I'm just kind of like, you know what? Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Maybe spilled one. I picked it up. All right. The green one. My favorite holiday movie is... So I have three. Well, two favorites and one that I just watch this time of year because everyone watches it this time of year. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, A Charlie Brown Christmas, and Love Actually. Um, I like those. Actually, the only one I really know is the first one, so I shouldn't say that. <laughs> um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, though, that's a classic. That's a classic. Mm-hmm. My mother always says it was on TV in the hospital the night that I was born, so <laughs> it's very special to our family, and I watch it every year, with or without my parents. Nice. I think mine will have to be Home Alone 1 and 2. Oh, yes. Those are good ones. And then maybe Jingle All the Way, like that uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's just, <laughs> it's stupid, but it's, it's good. Sometimes you just need one. I yeah. I can't do Elf. Like, everyone, like, loses their minds over Elf, but Will Ferrell is just not my thing. Yeah, yeah. You gotta be in the right mood. Uh, I'm never in a Will Ferrell mood, ever, for yeah. anything. All right, finish mm-hmm. this off. Pink one. I'm gonna do one that's not food. <laughs> when it's cold out, that's food too. <laughs> that's food too. Kate, are these all food questions? Like I'm I'll, a food blogger. I'll answer another one. Is this a food blog? No. Oh, okay. It's not a food blog, well, not a food podcast, but I am a food blogger, so naturally. My favorite meal. <laughs> the last one was coffee. My favorite craft beer, that's, I consider that's food. <laughs> One concert I'd pay a lot of m- money to see. Uh, if you had a concert where Yo-Yo Ma, Gautier Capuçon, Janos Starker, Mark Kossower, and Misha Maitsky played a cello quintet or something crazy like that. Oh, man. And they each like did, like, so, maybe you had Yuja Wang play the, the piano. Yeah. I'd pay a lot of money to see that. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'd pay a lot of money to see that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar, Neil Geraldo. Hey, make fun of me. Who is that? I've heard the name forever. But... Heartbreaker, hit me with your best shot. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. 70s, 80s rock icon. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that name everywhere, and I just never actually knew who that was. Love is a Battlefield. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And then Neil Geraldo is her guitarist slash husband. Mm, Cool. And they're both incredibly talented. All right. That was fun. Thank you for answering, well, calling out all my food questions. Yeah, sorry for calling out your food questions. (laughs) It's okay. I need to write some more questions anyway. So if you're listening and you have suggestions for questions to put in the jar, leave me a review or find me on Instagram at thenougabell. And send me your questions that you want to hear answered. Um, so one thing that I forgot to ask you about earlier before we um, move on. Who are some of your inspirations and influences? Currently, definitely Jacob Collier, as far as like an inspiration. Have you heard of him? Heard of, not super familiar with. Just an insane multi, multi-instrumentalist better at most instruments than I am at any. And also, like, 
one of those things where I feel like I had the idea before I saw him do it, and then I was like, he beat me to it. <laughs> but he does it like way better than I could ever expect myself to do it. But at least, I mean, I'm doing my own take on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that he, he inspires me for sure. What was the other word inspires than what? Influences. Influence. Recently, it's been a lot of just like, a lot of this music I've been listening to, no name, or like just not recognizable name artists that are this, this kind of like low-fi chill beats. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like 80 BPM and it's just like in the back. And I just put that on in my house and it's like the best music filling or like house filling stuff. And so, I don't know, that's recent. I mean, it's not recent, but like recently I've been actually kind of trying to make that kind of music mm-hmm. with my looping stuff because it's so simple. It's yeah. so simple. So when you do something that loops, how long of like a segment or a phrase do you make and then loop that? It's always different every time. Okay. So this is a, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what makes this show on the 15th interesting. Okay. Is that although all of the audio you hear is live, the button presses are recorded. Okay. So essentially I don't have to worry about hitting a pedal. Uh, my computer knows when to hit record and when to hit play and then when to hit stop. Because of that, it frees me. I'm not shackled to a length. I'll record one sound effect that takes a, a, a beat. Like, mm-hmm. and then I'll just trigger that later. Or I don't know. Like, So there's not an eight bar phrase necessarily. Um, and I've got one song that starts in 7-4 and then it loops and changes and goes to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, which I actually did manage to do with a pedal at one point. But this makes it way easier and, uh, and what's cool is, you know, my, my claim is that there's nothing pre-recorded. Everything you hear is recorded live, but that doesn't mean I can't record something in the first song and use it in the last song. Loophole. Loophole. And I think it's a cool loophole because it's still live mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just in my computer from the last song. And so that, that's one little trick I haven't actually been able to use. I'm hoping to use it on this, on the 15th where there's like some sort of reprise of the first song later mm-hmm. because Having to re-record a drum beat every single time can be kind of monotonous. Like it's, I think it's always interesting. Like the first time you see it, like mm-hmm. oh he records the drum, oh he records that, oh he does that. But then the second song, oh he records the drum, oh he records the bass, oh it is it's the same progression. And I try to change it up for that reason, but um, I do realize I have the opportunity to just reuse the drums from the first song, as long as the show is cohesive. It doesn't matter. I think I, I don't like to segment song by song i kind of want it to feel like an, an hour of show where i'm sort of playing this character who's just goofing off with instruments yeah and being funny and, mm-hmm. and goofy <laughs> so before we started recording you talked a little bit about um the solo shows you've done in the last few months and you did one in october one a couple weeks ago and then you've got one coming up on the 15th so can you talk about that first show in october and then how yeah. you've kind of Moved on to each one. Yeah, so I kind of want to segue back to your question of musical influences. Okay. Because I, I realize I've got this sort of spit, split personality. Mm-hmm. Not like, not literally, but... Uh, <laughs> not schizo. I'm, but <laughs> I'm pursuing two different veins okay. at the same time. And I think that they're, they're not exclusive, but they're unique and they're different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to provide both opportunities. So the first one, and it's the show I did in October, is... Totally acoustic, totally composed with professional musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a chamber ensemble. So that one was Ben Van Winkle and the Figment Chamber Ensemble. And for that, I had a string trio, a string bass, acoustic guitar, classical guitar, guitar, 
bass clarinet, clarinet, flute, and vibraphone. And I sang and played cello. And I think what makes that this type of show so special and why I definitely want to keep pursuing this is, A, there's no click track, and it's it, you can really let the music breathe. B, the, the musicians I worked with, I hired them. Mm -hmm. They're professionals from the CSO mm -hmm. that uh, I don't know how I convinced them to play with me. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was in charge of them, and it was this really weird, like, oh, my God, how did I do this? How did I put myself in this situation? <laughs> it was really cool because everything I gave them, they played. Oh, yeah, and that's, that C is that the detail is all there. You just have to tell them what to play. And classical musicians totally have this amazing uh, mentality where they don't want to make stuff up. They want you to tell them what to do. Um, and they'll, they'll, they think they'll play their best if they do that. And not, that's not all of them, but whereas I think that's, that's just a big difference with not amateur musicians, but uh, self-taught musicians or musicians that just didn't learn through that school. Yeah. Um, they, they always want to bring their own flair to it. And mm -hmm. sometimes that can create amazing things, but sometimes you want to be able to make all the calls. And, and so that show, I wrote about 50 minutes worth of music for a 10-piece ensemble, note for note. And uh, we played it totally acoustic at Barking Legs. And... Uh, you know, there, there are a couple songs that bled over to the other one, which I'm about to mention. Oh, yeah, so musical influences. That's what I was getting with it. <laughs> um, this sort of thing, I think I got a lot of influence from Ravel and Debussy, like impressionistic composers. I can see that. Because they both are masters at texture. You know, things that are not in the forefront that create this really atmospheric and amazing bed of sounds. And so I did a lot of score study and maybe a little bit of score, uh, <laughs> not copying, definitely not copying, but like, no. uh, like direct inspiration, like, Ooh, I, I want that sound. I want something like that mm -hmm. here. Uh, and so I learned a lot from them and there's just so much you can do when you have nine musicians. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all analog. I don't know. I just really, really enjoyed that project and it's not over. We're going to do another one of those in March, March 16th. Awesome. But the tough thing was that the day after that show, I had to totally switch my brain because that show was on October 19th. I had the Palace Theater show on uh, November 16th. Mm -hmm. So less than a month to create a new show. Mm -hmm. To um, switch personalities, like you said. Switch personalities. Yeah, exactly. Like, And honestly, I remember the day after that, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do loop. I'm, I love comp composition right now. I just want to go full force into this. I just want to spend all my time composing. So I was a little upset, honestly, to have to switch. I'm glad I did because mm -hmm. by the end of that and by the end of the 15th, I will have two things that are basically created. Like obviously I'm going to keep putting in work in them, but like the hard work's over, I mm -hmm. feel like. And now it's just adding and improving. So yeah, the next day I switched and I had to set up my loop station and uh, program all of my songs. It wasn't like I had to write new music I had to program it mm -hmm. uh, and then I had to practice it <laughs> so I mean I used every single minute that I had between that concert and the next concert to prepare for that one and that show went really well it was uh, totally loops all the button presses were recorded um, I had my friend Element who's a local rapper who's the best freestyler I've ever met <laughs> he came in and he he did some verses on a couple of my tunes and then we actually did this one thing where I got off stage and I asked the audience for seven words for him to beatbox. Oh, then, that's cool. And then, he, or not, no, for him to freestyle on. And then he asked the audience for seven sound effects for me to use in my beatbox. 
Oh, that's cool. So we were both improvising at the same time and it ended up working pretty well. And then I had acrobatics and then there's this one part where I uh, had a dancer and I had this like microphone that attaches to my face and I was like dancing and singing with her. Um, so it's a little like musical theater in that yeah. respect. Um, Man, I'm so sad I missed this show. <laughs> well, you'll see the one on the 15th and this one there won't be uh there won't be a dancer or there'll, there'll be a dancer. I'm going to do that one again. There won't be acrobatics mm-hmm. or a rapper. But I had it back to like my feeling after the 19th show. I didn't necessarily have that after this one because I knew the next show was the loop show again. Mm-hmm. So I and it was Thanksgiving week and I was like, okay, I'm just going to put this down and relax for a week. And then last week I realized, oh crap, I need, to, <laughs> I need to do a lot of work because this show is so soon after the last one. This one is again less than a month after the mm-hmm. last, and I don't want to just do the same show again. Right. So I've been busting my butt to make it at least half different, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still working on it. But I think by next Saturday I'll have a show that is, for the most part, a new show, and I'll have I'll repeat the bangers. And I think the one where I dance with the the dancer is going to be mm-hmm. repeated, so you'll see that one. It should feel like a totally new show. That's awesome. Um, that's a so, long-winded answer. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, how did you come up with the name Figment of Your Imagination? Because like most times when you hear that, it's like the figment of my imagination. So how did you come up with Figment of Your Imagination? Well, I guess I just started thinking about it's always some guy in this band. Mm-hmm. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm solo, but I wanted to kind of include the idea that if you imagine hard enough, I'm playing with other members of myself. Like I, And so if you imagine that I'm playing there, and also it gets kind of weird and creative, and mm-hmm. there's definitely some things that you can imagine to make it interesting if you like think about it. Mm-hmm. And really like immerse yourself in it. So I wanted to include the audience, like, it's this guy and then what you imagine on top of that. That's almost like a cop out. Like, it's really cool if you imagine that it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> just, just yeah, the your, that's a good question. I do, I think, I just think your is cooler. Yeah, it is. And it turns it around on the listener a little bit. Exactly. Kind of draws them in a little bit more. I like it. That was what stood out to me when I saw like the event come up on Facebook. I was just like, oh, I see what you did there. Mm. I like, I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. But... I haven't got too much feedback from that, but I've kind of assumed that people see it like, oh, that's kind of clever. Yeah. Because um, I think it is kind of clever. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of happened on accident because I wrote a song a long time ago that I called Figment. Mm-hmm. I named it that like three or four years ago. And then I realized, oh my God, I need to name my chamber ensemble the Figment Chamber Ensemble. So that was the first thing. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, I want to distinguish it from when I do a solo show. So my solo show, I'll just say the Figment of Your Imagination. Mm-hmm. I'll just give them that. Because I think when you say figment, people automatically think figment of my imagination. Yep. So you don't have to fill that in. But this one, I was like, oh, let's just make it different. Also, I'm thinking of ways to like shorten it. I think I think it might start saying like BVW and the FYI. <laughs> I don't know. Th- like you're the first person I've told this. I had this idea like yesterday. <laughs> nice. Um, because figment of your imagination just dropped the of, like ETA, estimated time of re- arrival. There's no O there. Mm-mm. So to say FYI, people are always going to think for your information, but they're going to remember it. Yep. And then when they realize that it's actually figment of your imagination, 1,700 extra syllables, it'll stick with them, I think. I don't know. I think so. I like it. Um, so in all of that, you mentioned 
working with members from the CSO, the Chattanooga Symphony and Opera, a local rapper, like other music, other local musicians you've collaborated with in the past. It's all a part of this like huge music community that Chattanooga has. And from what I can observe, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And there's all sorts of different like segments and like factions of it. How do you see yourself like fitting into that? And how do you see that like growing and evolving over the next couple of years? Um, also as someone who's from Chattanooga and who has like been involved in this since you started masseuse back in high school. Loaded question. I know. Yeah. Well, so like, I don't know, like how do I fit into it? I don't know if I do. I feel like I create my own sort of thing. I think that's kind of what I'm doing at least in some regards. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm starting all my shows at 7.30. On the dot. On the dot. Uh, most of my friends who are in the music scene, most of the music scene that I actually have a quaint, like personal relationships, their shows start at 10 or 11. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just going after a different audience. Mm-hmm. It's, honestly, I'm a little kind of going more for the classical audience. So maybe that's how I fit into it. Um, I want to make the classical musicians, uh, have, I want to give them opportunities in popular music. Uh, I want to give them jobs and things that they can do that that's popular with young people mm-hmm. that's or not the, the converse to that converse or the whatever the other way is that i want to show young people that classical music's cool mm-hmm. or actually let me put that differently i don't want them to show that classical music's cool they, they've decided they don't like it maybe you know what i mean yeah <laughs> um, i want to show them that there's a lot of stuff you can do with that school of thought with that school of training that those musicians are incredible and that if you just give them the music, they can do just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like we can play more than Beethoven type thing. Yeah. And also like a lot of people haven't ever really listened to Ravel or de- dove into Debussy. And I think it's just some of the best stuff I've ever written. Mm-hmm. What happened to it? Uh, I think people, we started to record stuff mm-hmm. and amplify stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. I think obviously some of the best music ever written was written in like the sixties and seventies. And it was amplified and recorded. But um, we also sort of lost some of these nuances of classical music, or at least classical style music, that's so impressionist and uh, moody and deep and mm-hmm. emotional. Oh, I just immediately think of Stravinsky. Stravinsky. That's another <laughs> good one. Um, yeah. Firebird. Ugh, was my nightmare. Nightmare? I mean, I love the work of music. I just hate playing it. Your violin, right? Yep. 12 years. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't played that one professionally, but... That was my sophomore year of high school we played that? Something like that? Yeah, I think my sophomore year of high school we played Firebird. Yeah. Just the, like, the last part of it. The Dance Infernal or whatever it was. Yeah, but that doesn't even count. Like, I think we played it in (laughs) in high school, too, but it was mostly faking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was just not as... Like, if 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 I got a chance to play that with a professional symphony, that would be a dream come true. I'd love to play that piece. Knowing it'd be really hard. Yeah. Um, but that's what I want sometimes, that challenge. Mm-hmm. Man, Stravinsky, who else did I hate? Who did Pierre Ghent? I got Who did that? You know what I'm talking about, uh, obvi- right? Yes, I definitely do. And I'm, the second you say the name, I'll say, oh, yeah, I just have a trouble brain when it comes to recall like that. But sort of kind of a dream I have is... Not to, like, create a school, per se, like a a music school, but Mm. maybe it would be a school. Like, I don't know, like, create a space where 
people can come and study or 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 just like so I'm establishing this chamber ensemble. Right. Like what if that was a location also? Uh and and the ensemble could grow and there could be subsets and other people could compose for it. And that's so one thing God, I'm going in so many different directions. <laughs> the Figma Chamber Ensemble doesn't have to be Ben Van Winkle. Um, and it's going to exist by itself, whether or not I'm playing. Um, and I've got stuff in motion for this. I've got funding from the Arts Build. And like it's going to be its own thing. Oh, that's awesome. I will just take advantage of it, <laughs> personally, a lot. Because uh, it's the exact instrumentation I really want. I mean, things will change in some of my compositions. But like I just love that instrumentation with the flute and the clarinet. Uh, so much texture you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will, I'm planning on commissioning pieces for it, and I already have two composers that want to write for it. Oh, that's awesome. And I want to use the ensemble to play Ravel and Debussy, and like maybe I'll find a way to pitch it where like uh, the Figma Chamber Ensemble opens for Ben Van Winkle and the Figma Chamber Ensemble. Oh, or something, God. I don't know, there's got to be a way to do it. But like, it's so meta. It's so meta, like, yeah. Because that the show in October... Basically, you know, it was all music I wrote, and it was all music that I was in the front singing and playing cello. I also have pieces where I've, I've written for that ensemble, but I don't want to play. Uh, I just want to be the composer. And so then that show would be like, the Figma Chamber Ensemble plays Van Winkle. Gotcha. But the Figma Chamber Ensemble doesn't have to be me, and I could go to New York, and they still might put a show on or something like that. I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's that's one way I'm hoping to affect the music scene, is create another... Ensemble. It's not the symphony. We don't do classical stuff, but it is for professional musicians. Mm-hmm. Maybe inspired by classical. Inspired by classical and of the classical discipline and uh, tradition mm-hmm. of rehearsal and super effective rehearsals. That show in October, we had two rehearsals. Really? Yeah. That's it? Mm-hmm. And it works. <laughs> uh, because everyone showed at the first rehearsal already knowing every note. Even though they have never heard these pieces before. Don't you love professional musicians? Oh, oh my gosh, it, I love it. Not only they they also they bring the best out of me because I know like I have to give them I have to give them clear direction. And if I if I don't, I'm wasting them. I need to give them exactly what I want. And uh, so that was a huge, so much pressure, mm-hmm. so much pressure to get them the good parts. Uh, but now it's there, you know. I've got mm-hmm. the music. I can give it to anybody. I can go to New York and hire professionals. Not that I don't want to stay loyal to who I hired, but, um, you know, there'll be a time where I'll, like, hold auditions mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, personnel could change because the music's written, professionals can read music. Yep. I'm not tied to any one person. Uh, it's really an interesting place to be. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so you did the show at the Palace Theater on November 16th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got the second Figment of Your Imagination show coming up. December 15th. Yeah. That's at the Palace Theater as well. Mm-hmm. So, I just lost my train of thought. What's my plan after that? Sure. What, <laughs> so, what's your plan after the um, December 15th show? You mentioned doing one in March. Yes. So, that's the next Figment Chamber Ensemble show. Awesome. Uh, and that'll be at the Circle Theater, which I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this don't even know what that is. No. What is um, that? And people who do are like, oh, I know that place. It's <laughs> in... Side the Chattanooga Theater Center. It's the smaller stage. Oh, okay. It's awesome. It's a big circle, even though it's a small stage. And they set the audience up and like not 360, but like maybe 200 degrees mm-hmm. around this stage. Like so, a horseshoe. Like a horseshoe. Yeah. Uh, and then the stage is in the center, 
And it sounds amazing. It's oh, just this like really reverberant box. It's actually an octagon. But that was the one thing the Barking Leg show was missing was like really good acoustics. Mm -hmm. It was nice because we recorded it and it was super dead. So we could, we had a little more control of the recording. Mm -hmm. But I think this one will sound, it'll sound a little more live and maybe more a little ex exciting, I think. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's the March 16th. But you might ask, what am I doing with the other two months, three months? Well, end of December and January and February. January, I'm finally getting the studio and recording my damn album. Which Your I've been saying album. about doing forever. Solo album? Yes. Yes. Solo. Um, you know, I've, I've said I was going to release this. I've like literally publicly said I'm going to release it like two Octobers ago. <laughs> like literally two years ago. I'm pretty sure I remember you telling me that. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Um, I am actually very glad I didn't. Not because it wouldn't have been good, but I think this is just going to be way better. I think I've, I understand myself as a musician a lot more. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got these two live shows... So what am I going to do with the album? I am... I'm getting, it's getting clearer and clearer, but I think... You know, I, I toyed around with... Well, shoot, I, why, don't I, why don't I just not use a click and I'll just use my my ensemble and we'll just do, like, super organic music. But then I asked myself, why? If I'm recording all of my shows professionally, there's the album every time I do a show. So, like, I don't need to. Like, I already mm -hmm. have live recordings. The Barking Leg show is recorded professionally. Mm -hmm. and I'm actually going to release that. Oh, awesome. And video and everything. It's pretty cool. Um, so I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna. It's going to be a produced album, but I'll still hire the musicians mm -hmm. to do some string parts and some flute parts, clarinet parts. And So it's going to draw from both. It's going to be, I'd say, slightly more on the palace type show, like slightly more on the strict rhythm, looping kind of thing. But it'll have a more dense and lush instrumentation than you'll see at that show because I can't do those instruments live. Right. So I, I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but I'm really excited about it. And I think things are just going to get clearer and clearer as they come. Mm -hmm. So that's January. And all of December after this show on the 15th will be spent preparing for that. That will probably go through February too, to be quite honest. But if it doesn't, I want to do February Riders again. What was that? It's uh, this challenge where a bunch of Chattanooga musicians, songwriters, uh, do this thing where they have to release a song every single day for the whole month of February. Well, at least you only have 28 days. That's the idea. That's the idea. And uh, last year, there were maybe 30 of us. Oh, wow. Uh, and you can still go listen to it because it's band camp. So, like, okay. when you released it, it goes live. Gotcha. Uh, and that was really interesting. You oh, release sure. a song once a day for a whole month, and it's there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I could delete it if I really hated it. I got 17 songs done last year. Wow. And my birthday's on the 16th, so that's probably, that might show you why I think I quit there. Uh <laughs> But some, there were like, I want to say either four or five, maybe even more that got 28 mm -hmm. out of 30. Most people failed, but either way, I think it's worth it because uh, I would say out of those 17 songs, five to seven of them have become real songs. Oh, awesome. Like have become, at least three of them, maybe four of them were on the Barking Like show. Mm -hmm. And that's I, I what you hope for, right? Yeah. The idea, what I love about it is that it forces you to make decisions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter anymore if this is good enough. You just got to choose it. You mm -hmm. just got to do it or just, just finish it. Yep. You got to make some choices and just finish it. Mm -hmm. It's like the writers who do NaNoWriMo the month of November. National, yes. National Novel Writers Month. The idea is to write a novel the month of November. And I think it's like 50,000 words. 
is what constitutes a novel. So you have to budget like however many words a day. And the idea is like, it doesn't matter how good it is. It could be like your best writing ever. It could be shit. But at the end of the month, the idea is that you have a minimum 50,000 word novel. And then you can go back and like write or like edit, revise, cut, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, that's a split personality thing with music too. Same thing. You've got the the creative that just can barf out ideas. <laughs> and then you've got the person who mends it all together and pieces it together. But you can't be them at the same time. And you no. can't switch easily. So it's like the second you question, was that good enough? Uh, maybe I should just go ahead and edit this. You've lost some of your creativity, I think. And there is some of that needs to, that needs to happen on those days where you have to finish the song in a day. But like, it's really important to just just let it all out with no judgment mm-hmm. of yourself, and then judge yourself later. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so I'll usually like I'll I'll break up those sessions. I'll spend like two hours just barfing out ideas, and then I'll spend two hours like piecing that together, trying to make something out of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's awesome. So anything you would like to plug before we wrap up, um, where to find more info on your shows, where to follow you on social media, anything like that? Follow my Facebook. I've got an Instagram too, but I haven't gotten good with that yet. Uh, but the Facebook is where to follow me. My name's pretty easy to remember, Ben Van Winkle. Mm-hmm. I've got a website too um, that if you just search my name will come up also. And I have one song on Spotify. Look, look me up on YouTube. I just released a song from the last Palace show. Awesome. Um, so that it was some video work and stuff. So you can kind of see me playing all the instruments and playing drum set, bass, cello, and uh, piano and guitar. So. Awesome. I'll link all of that in the show notes when the episode releases. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with me tonight, Ben. It has been yeah. wonderful catching up with you. It's been yeah, a while. Too. Awesome. Yeah. I, like I said, I will plug all of that in the show notes. Um, catch Ben at the Palace Theater on December 15th. And this has been another episode of the Nougabelle podcast. Thank y'all so much for listening.